Good morning, everybody. My name is Kevin. I serve here on the pastoral staff, and I recognize that sometimes you just want to sit and linger in the worship, in the prayer, in the quiet reflection, and then this guy gets up there and starts speaking, and you're like, oh, man, that kind of ruined it. Um, Hopefully, the Word of God uh, has some encouragement for you here this morning as uh, as we look into His Word, and uh, we will continue to, to sing and worship uh, here in, uh, in a minute. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, pick up some live Atlantic lobster here and deliver it up north to my brother-in-law's hunting lodge four hours north, and we had a lobster feast on the beach, fresh Atlantic lobster with one of his clients, and uh, that, it was that perfect 22-degree night in Saskatchewan with no wind and uh, beautiful sunset. Oh, that was good. There was just butter, just dripping. It was an all-you-could-eat lobster, fresh Atlantic lobster feast. So if you enjoy that moment and you enjoy the Lord, uh, today's scripture is for you. Because uh, it's not just a story about Christians eating lobster. It is not just about what we can eat, but it's the fact that most of us here are Gentiles. We're not Jews, unless there's some Jews here in the audience, but most of us are Gentiles. And this is a story where we look back, where where Christians realized that God's Spirit is for us, and that we don't just call things unclean, that God has made all things clean. And as a result, we can even eat bacon-wrapped lobster. So this is an important one. I'm going to read to you uh, Acts chapter 10 and uh, get into even uh, chapter 11. It's a longer passage of scripture that I'm going to read. It's going to take a little bit. I'm okay with speaking more scripture in uh, worship services. Hopefully you're okay with listening to a longer chunk of scripture. It's a nice story. Hopefully you can, uh, you can follow along. But there are a few things that I think will help you engage in this story. So I'd like to give you a little bit of background and a little bit of an interpretive thing. You know, it's kind of my analogy. Don't take it too seriously or too offensive if, uh, if you don't like it. Uh, sorry, but it's, it's hopefully will help us engage a little bit with the story. So the story's going to start in a town called Caesarea. Okay, named after the Caesar of the time, Roman. This is a non-Jewish place. This is the Gentile epic center. Okay, so it's it's a very unclean, unholy place for the Jews. So so kind of picture an, uh, your traditional stereotypical Amish person heading to Las Vegas, Sin City. Okay, it's kind of like we're going to Sin City today. Okay, that's Caesarea. In Caesarea, there's a centurion called Cornelius, okay? Let's picture our casino boss. Not a great reputation for goodness and kindness. Sorry to any casino bosses in the audience here, but there's just not the the reputation that this guy's going to be great, okay? But then it talks about he's a God-fearing and devout. So kind of your loving, kind casino boss in Vegas, A Gentile who attended the synagogue, who honored Jewish laws and customs and recognized the Jewish God. Somehow somehow he was drawn to Jewish ethics and theology and worship. It talks about even him him praying at the traditional hour at at three in the afternoon, a traditional hour for Jewish prayers. So basically you have this casino boss who goes to church, 
and reads his Bible, kind of get that kind of picture through your head. And, uh, and, but he hadn't been converted, so he was still an unclean, like even though he was devout, he was still unclean. So he hadn't been circumcised. It was the thing that uh, would have been, okay, snip, snip, this is making you clean back in those days, okay? So you kind of have this casino boss who attends church but hasn't been baptized. I don't, that's the best I can do kind of as an analogy here today. Work with me here, people. Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter is introduced in Joppa. Joppa, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's a Jewish port city. Interesting little tidbit. We're not going to get too deep into this. This is where Jonah fled when God asked him to go to reach the Ninevites. And he said, no, I'm going the other direction and I'm not going to go and reach the Gentiles. In this story, same town, Peter says, yes, I'm going to go and reach the Gentiles. Just a little interesting tidbit there of the town of Joppa. Uh, you have Jewish food laws. This is kosher laws that are going to be introduced. Uh, for, Jews were forbidden from eating certain abst- animals. Lobster, pork, shellfish. Those were things that were forbidden. You do not eat those things. Those are unclean. Those make you unclean. And those are the things that will show up in Peter's vision. Back to my Amish analogy, kind of like an Amish person having like cell phones and TVs come down in front of them and be like, yeah, it's okay to do this. I don't know. Maybe I'm going too far. Work with me. It's just giving you a mental picture here. So it was far more acceptable, this is the other thing, far more acceptable for a Jew to welcome a Gentile into their home than it was for a Jew to go to a Gentile's house. Okay, so it was okay. Well, hospitality was really important. So welcoming a Gentile in was was no problem, but going to a Gentile's house, unclean, unholy, defiled, you cannot do that. Similar to an Amish person welcoming a person, Vegas uh, casino boss into their home, okay, that's fine, but don't go to Vegas and go into their home. Okay, you with me? That's kind of where we're going this morning. I'm going to read you this story, and uh, it's going to take a few minutes, so settle in, relax, and kind of, what's God saying to us here with, uh, with that kind of as our understanding? Okay, this story's coming from Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision and distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Okay, that's our first scene there. Radical angel angel vision kind of thing. Wow, okay, so he's going to go send some people over to Peter's place. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to a roof to pray. He had become hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open, and something like a large sheet being led down to earth by its four corners. It contained all of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. 
the voice spoke a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, and they stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, Peter, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you've, Am I the one that you're looking for? Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. And his head is spinning. Why is a casino boss at my house? Why did he send his thugs to get me? What is go- did an angel really show up? What is going on? Continuing on. The next day, Peter started out with them. And some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea, Sin City. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went outside and found a large gathering of people. Went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware it's against our law as a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered. He goes on, tells the story, three in the afternoon, etc., continuing on to verse 33. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, these words, the Holy Spirit, came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jews, who had come with Peter, were astonished 
that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of, being of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Okay, wow, kind of amazing. What's going on? Peter has to go back to Jerusalem and explain this to people. Oh boy, let's find out how this goes. The apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Starting with the, at the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I'm not going to read it all. I'll skip ahead to uh, verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus, who is I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, So then even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The word of the Lord. So 2,000 years ago, Jewish believers recognized that salvation and the Holy Spirit was also for Gentiles, for us. All of humanity has been made clean because of Jesus' death and resurrection. There was no reason to consider others unclean. So that's 2,000 years ago, right? Christians nowadays, uh, you know, we wouldn't ostracize someone who has different practices or different race or different culture, would we? I really don't think that human culture has, human nature has changed too much. We still have ins and outs in church, in religion. So as much as this is a story about salvation being for everyone, not just the Jews, it's also about laying down our prejudices for the sake of Jesus Christ. There's, there's two simple points here today. God calls all people to be restored to relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Peter says that to everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Other point is that for, in order for this to happen, be open to the Spirit, not restricted by our prejudices, for God does not show favoritism. This has been a harder one for me to work through this past week, and I hope it's a bit of a harder one for you to hear this morning. It's been convicting to me of my ins and outs and how I perceive people. So I'll set you up for where we're going here with response. The response today will be a call to repentance. It'll be to discern the spirit. It'll be to embrace discomfort. It'll be to prayer. And it'll be to evangelistic hospitality. But let me explain how we're going to get there today. So right from the beginning of the story of the Jews, this is a bit of history, we see with Abraham. Abraham's the, the father of the Jews. That's where it all starts. And we see that God's blessing 
is to everyone. So Genesis 12, verse 3. All people on earth will be blessed through you. And then as, as the, the Jewish history continues, the prophets come. And they also affirm this message. Uh, Isaiah 49 says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So even before Jesus comes, the Jews are being set up for, hey, just so you know, you're going to have to pay attention here. It's not just about you. There's other people that are going to be receiving God's blessing. Humans are created in the image of God and created to be in relationship with God, as well as be in relationship with one another to show God's love. Unfortunately, we do not do a very good job because of sin. Sin separates us from God, from one another, from creation. And that is why Jesus came, to make a way to restore our relationship with God, one another and creation through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the core of what we believe, and that is for everyone. All of creation groans to be back in perfect relationship with God as it was right in the beginning of creation. No more tears, no more pain. That's what Peter and Paul preached, and that is what we still preach today. So even though we're clear, on, and you know, as a church people here, we're clear on the basics of salvation, but because of sin, we, we really struggle to be a blessing to all people. We can accept Jesus' love and forgiveness, but it is tough to love our neighbor because they're different. So for the Jews, the challenge to love their neighbor was because of the call from God to be holy. Not to defile themselves, to be separate from the world, the others, to not eat their food, to not worship their gods, to not be like them, to be different, to be set apart, to be holy. But when Jesus comes, the external separation from the world is part of the, the process of being holy. Things like the sacrificial law, the Ten Commandments are no longer needed. Jesus restores the relationship between God, humanity, creation. Jesus is the sacrifice that makes us holy. Not the law, not external actions like circumcision, not behaviors like worshiping at the temple, not associations by being an ethnic race or Jews or whatever. Jesus restores the humanity, the relationship between God, humanity, and creation. That is a massive shift back in these days. It took them some time to just realize, what's the Holy Spirit revealing here? Their world was totally being turned upside down because of Jesus. Acknowledging Jesus as the way to God was all that was needed for salvation. The relationship with God that they thought was just for Jews was now being extended to the entire world. God was using his followers to show his love for others. So now instead of others making them unholy, they were to go into the world and make others holy by proclaiming Jesus. That's really, really hard when you've been told that they, the others, are unclean, unholy, dirty, and do not associate with them. And I think that some of us have come to believe the same thing even in our day today. But here we have Peter. At first, he thinks that this is a test. This is a test of his devoutness. Certainly not, Lord. I wouldn't eat that. No way, not me. But then he realizes that God is doing something new. 
It's not a, not a change in God's original plan, but it's a time to fill the ancient promise of being a blessing to all nations. We know that, that Peter's character is, is rather impulsive, and so he goes out of his comfort zone and he heads to Sin City of Caesarea. He arrives and he hears that uh, Cornelius' side of the story, and he has this extremely prepared group who are eager to hear the gospel. It's a preacher's dream. He realizes that God accepts everyone and tells them of Christ's work on the cross and the Holy Spirit falls on them. They are saved. They have the Holy Spirit in them. They are now the same as the Jewish Christ followers. So now what do you do? Circumcise them? Snip, snip? That's what's needed? Make them change externally so that they become holy? No, they've been made holy by Christ. They don't need to be made holy by some external demonstration. They've been made holy. Their identity has changed. They are now clean, washed clean by accepting the message of Jesus Christ. What do you do? You baptize them. Not to save them. They're saved. But as an outward sign of the inward transformation that they've experienced. I find it interesting, this is just a bit of an aside from my own pastoral side, that in chapter 11, when Peter goes back to Jerusalem, like the religious leaders kind of thing, he's not questioned about baptizing people, just kind of spontaneously. He's, you, what, you went into their home? It's just like, you went to Vegas? Like, that was the big deal. I was just like, man, my counsel would be like, you baptized them? Anyways, just interesting kind of side. So he tells his side of the story, and they realize that God has opened the door of salvation for the Gentiles. It's not about external acts that make you holy. It's about the inner work of Christ in a person's life. And this opens the door for Paul to share the gospel with the Gentiles. And 2,000 years later, here we are. Gentiles worshiping Jesus, eating bacon and lobster, hallelujah, amen, and without needing to be circumcised or making a sacrifice in the temple because of the work of Jesus Christ. I think there's a few things uh, for us to learn here. First of all, this all starts in prayer. You have two men who God speaks to as they listen to God in prayer. Not, they're not telling God what to do in their prayers, but they just have this open listening posture to God. And as we respond, I encourage you to listen to God's prompting. Set aside each time, a time each day just to listen to God in prayer. What does he have for you? What's he doing? Second, we need to be willing to be uncomfortable. We need to step out of our comfort zone. Uh, commentators, I tried to get away from this point. Trust me, I didn't want to preach this to you guys. I read three different commentaries. They all said this. Commentators highlight that Peter was already uncomfortable because he was saying with Simon the Tanner, someone who tans animal hides. This was a gross, low-end, stinky job away from the rest of town because of the smell. They didn't have refrigeration back then. This was gross. And Peter was already learning this discipline of being uncomfortable by staying with Simon. And so Peter is already open to sacrifice his reputation and then be in even more of an uncomfortable position when he's asked to be, go and be with the Gentiles. 
For the sake of the gospel, Peter was willing to be uncomfortable for Jesus. Are we okay with being uncomfortable? Associating with uncomfortable people? So, like, let's start easy here. Some examples. The awkward person at work or at school. Okay, that's the easy one. That's probably how Peter felt about the other disciples. Eh, kind of awkward. Okay, that's, that's the start, maybe. Let me give you a list. How do you feel? Do you feel uncomfortable around people that are homeless? Do you feel, I'm hoping to equally offend everyone here, just so you know. Do you feel uncomfortable around people that are homeless? Do you feel uncomfortable around politicians? Do you feel around, uncomfortable around the rich or the poor? What about people who are gay or divorced or single or widowed or married with two kids? What about alcoholics? What about those who are struggling with mental health or addictions? What about indigenous people, Latinos, Asians? What about white Europeans? What about Catholics? What about Pentecostals? Are you prejudiced against Mennonites? You're in a room of them, be careful. Liberals, conservatives, Green Party, Maverick Party supporters. Whoever we consider is different, there is usually this level of discomfort around. Blue Bombers fans. Yet what if God is calling us, what if God is calling them to be our brothers and sisters in Christ? Or what if God is asking you to go to them? Will that affect your reputation? Are you willing to be uncomfortable? Will you end up feeling unclean, unholy, wondering how you're going to be accepted by your friends at church? Here's a simple test. Number three, evangelistic hospitality. Are you willing to enter their home? Are you willing to have them into your home? Are you willing to enter into their world? Would you go to a powwow with an indigenous person? A pride parade with someone who's gay? A boardroom with a CEO? A political rally? AA with an alcoholic? Would you go with them? Or are you concerned that you're going to be seen as unclean? Are you willing to invite them into your world? And I'm not just saying bring them to church. I'm saying are you willing to associate publicly with them and love them because they are made in the image of God? Now, if you're like me, I'm working through this and I'm getting a little shaky. Like, how far is too far? Like, where, where's the line here? And I feel okay preaching this because that's the question that Peter was asking. Surely not, Lord, so all of us have some line that's just like, well, that's too far. Uh, surely not. That's unclean. That's sinful. And Peter responds with, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. God accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So if you notice that God is working in a person's life and they are listening and open to him, God is likely calling you to step into their world and invite them into yours. Even if they're very different than you. Don't let your discomfort hold you back. Now, like I said, this is a very wide-ranging, very accepting te uh, text. 
And if you think I'm being too open or whatever by my, by my suggestion, just wait for chapter 15, okay? Then it all settles down. The Jewish council, the religious leaders, bring back some holiness rules. They bring back some standards. And clearly, the Bible has standards of holiness that it preaches. But in this pa- passage, that's not there. This, this passage is all about go. That's what this, this text is about here. So even as we, as we get into Acts chapter 15, just a couple chapters later, the Jewish council sets up some rules for the Gentiles. But they just say, don't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Tell them to stay away from food, offered to idols, sexual immorality, and meat of strangled animals in their blood. Like that becomes the, sin, the start of the sin list for them. Murder, observing the Sabbath, giving to the poor, not talked about. It's basically, don't make it hard for them. It's easy for me to come and say to you, hey, uh, you guys should all read your Bible every day and pray and stuff. And I've, I put on to you things that are relatively easy for me because I get paid to do that in my job. A little bit different than being a single mom pulling out her hair. We, we, we do that to people. We make it tough on others because of the things that are easy for us. I do that. That's a challenge. Let's not put those extra things on others that are easy for us, but are hard for them. So, number four, final thing. I think we just need to spend time in repentance of our own prejudices, whatever it is that God speaks to you about. Peter recognizes this when he says, God does not show favoritism. We are all sinners. When we recognize the grace that God shows us because of our sin, we are able to extend that grace to others no matter who they are, no matter where they are. We need to extend the grace of Jesus to everyone. We're going to call up the worship team. Um, we're also going to have a, a prayer team up here, and so I'll call those of you who are on the prayer team. You can come and, and stand up here as well. If you want to come forward and, and pray with someone, by all means, uh, we're, we'll be available here to, to pray with. Um, if you want to just sit in your seat and pray quietly there, um, that is great as well. But if we want to be used by God to show his love to the world, we need to spend time in prayer. We need to be willing to be uncomfortable. We need to be hospitable. And we need to identify and repent of our prejudices. May God give us strength and wisdom to do that. Amen.